0: As Salaamu Alaikum, my man. Wa alaykum as Salaam <laughs> wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? Kivil <laughs> hal. Long lost brothers. Allah <laughs> Ibarakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Now found. Alhamdulillah.
1: Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Wa Salaam wa sallam wa rahmatullah. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Sheikh Dr. Umar Sulaiman. You've never called me now. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> my brother. Allah <laughs> Ibarakatuh. Ahlan wa Sahlan. Ahlan wa It's a pleasure to do this always a pleasure. interview with you. I've always been waiting for it.
0: Karmakallah. Allah Ibarakatuh.
1: Dr. Omar Suleyman, let's start. Well, first of all, Masha'Allah, you're well known and renowned around the world. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. And you're a very influential figure, an important figure for this Ummah. We've seen a lot of your work. <laughs> Wherever there has been a community problem, you've been there, the first one. <laughs> and you've been there, as I've seen you, to, you know, extinguish any fire. That would harm the community, the ummah, whether it's in the US or anywhere around the world. We always see you in the forefront, mashaAllah. Allah make me to your good opinion, Ya Rabbi. So, many people get inspired by you, Ya
0: Rabbi.
1: Ya Dr. Omar Sulaiman, tell us about your background. Where are you from?
0: What's your ethnicity? (laughs) So, I think. for all the beautiful words um, don't deserve them but may Allah bless you they come from a beautiful heart so mm-hmm. uh, you're a beautiful person so you see beauty may Allah wa ta'ala bless you and, and continue to protect your heart and, and protect your tongue and guide you always uh, you know it's interesting I always subhanAllah was like racially ambiguous, my entire life. I was racially amb- even as as a day racially ambiguous. It was it's like followed me my entire life. So my parents are Palestinian. Alhamdulillah <laughs> alamin. Um, mother may Allah have mercy on her. is from Nablus, um, from the family of Hashem. She's actually a direct descendant of Ja'far ibn Abi Talib So she had the the wings of Ja'far over her bed, and then like going all the way down to her. From Surah Al Rasul, from the lineage of the Prophet. Sallallahu yes, my mother, and she resembled, she had grace, subhanAllah, that was unreal. So it was, it was beautiful knowing that from my mother. Um, may Allah have mercy on her. Her yeah. grandfather was uh, the last Mufti under the Uthmani and Palestine, Mufti Munib Hashim. Oh, and um, Rahimahullah wrote I-Mah. many books. Um, and Mufti Munib has, he has one picture online, there's a lot of haybah uh, in his nature. Um, inspired a lot of awe in people. My father, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve him, was born, alhamdulillah, before the state of Israel existed, uh, five years prior to Israel's establishment in Palestine. He's still alive? He's still alive, alhamdulillah. May Allah preserve him and um, continue to grant him goodness. He is from an area from the outskirts of Tudkaram, uh, from a very fam- famous family of Al-Oda. Tudkaram is also in Palestine, in Palestine. In the West Bank, in Palestine. yeah. <laughs> Um, but his lineage, um, you know, is, is very racially diverse as well. So, okay. mashallah, a lot of, you know, Palestine is, is made up of multiple peoples over time, right? The accumulations of lineages and, and people that have settled the land, alhamdulillah, over uh, centuries. So my father has a very rich background. I think people are confused sometimes when they see Palestinians because like, even in my family, I have cousins, brother and sister, where... Um, one cousin you know is he, he looks functionally like an african-american in, in the united states with an afro and his sister would be a redhead with blue eyes amazing so there's a lot of richness in his lineage, alhamdulillah, in terms of the diversity of it so, you know, I, yeah. so
1: Sheikh Omar, i'm sorry to cut you no, off no, i just no, want cut to make that that's an times. interesting point so your father he's indigenous palestinian yes but he's got african in him is that what you're saying? Or?
0: All sorts of African and all sorts of things. Yeah, so, you know, when, when I when I did my uh, DNA test, it was like, you know, I do parent one, parent two, and like his was like all over. You know, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. All over. A lot of Africa <coughs> in the Middle East. and Alhamdulillah. But uh, my mother's was like very like a, a, a tiny area. She's shami through and through, you know. Because so. we were talking with my
1: friends and we can see a little bit of African look in you, not too worry, much, American. but a
0: little bit. We all, some of us, thought you're probably African American, but that's so. So, so uh, from his side, there's actually, and that's why I always like joke with some of the brothers from Africa. Mm-hmm. It's like eight percent Senegalese. Um, there's Somali, Senegalese, Mali, uh, Sudan, and and I was in my childhood. My second family was a Sudanese family, mm-hmm. but where it gets funny is that now, first of all, in Palestine, you know this. I mean, you're uh, in, in Lebanon as well. <clears throat> um, you'll find, like I said, that, that whole spectrum, right, of Palestinians and stuff like that. But I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And if you read about New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, you'll read about a people known as the Creoles. Uh, the, the Creoles. Creoles. So if you search up what Creoles are, uh, I and my brother look like your average Creole in New Orleans. So growing up, no one ever thought I was anything but a Creole. growing up in schools in Louisiana. So I went to public school my whole life. Um, Like, I I didn't stand out as an Arab-American or anything like that. I grew up as a typical New Orleans kid, a typical Louisiana kid um, in that sense. So Creoles would just be light-skinned African-Americans. That's how they'd be called, right, or whatever it is. There's a French influence there. It's an interesting setup, right? So it was just perfectly meant for me, subhanAllah, in New Orleans. But my, my mother, uh, may Allah have mercy on her, and my father, may Allah preserve him, they were always very like, quick to assert that Palestinian identity, which was very important. So I remember having an argument in elementary school. Uh, my mother was really popular. When she was healthy, she would always be Sorry, the, the Chef, mom. Sorry, uh,
1: elementary, because I'm from Australia. So what's
0: elementary? Primary, you have primary and secondary, right? So elementary is primary? We have elementary, middle, and high.
1: Okay, Yeah. right. So, so you, you went like elementary, in
0: like primary school? Yeah, like fourth grade. Like Second, about third, fourth, about nine, eight, nine, ten years yeah, old. Yeah, now. Yeah. so my mother was the one that used to always like make sweets for school and like bring all sorts of things and like be very involved. Uh, so you know, I was just known as the guy that's from where Jesus is from. Where? <laughs> where Jesus is from? They would say, "Omar, Omar is from where Jesus is from." So Omar, Omar, privilege. but Omar, Omar is from where Jesus is from. Amazing. That was kind of the, end. In- but it was like, yeah, whatever, Louisiana. Everyone's kind of there was a lot of racial ambiguity. It wasn't really a big deal. Um, so you know, a lot of the, the racism that, that, you know, cause it's also uh, historic in terms of racism. Like I've seen, if you've heard of the KKK, yes. I've seen Klan rallies growing up. Like I've actually, I actually got beat up by the Klan uh, when I was in middle school. Why? Uh, just for existing. I was walking with, with my best friend, who's obviously black. And uh, we, were, um, we were beat up just going to the grocery store to pick up like chips and salsa and stuff like that. And, walking back to his apartment, just beat up, brass knuckle, stomped on, everything. So, subhanAllah, like, I knew that reality. And I also knew the reality of the Palestinians. With my parents, my parents were both very active on Palestine. So, my dad is a professor, distinguished professor, mashallah, amazing professor. A professor in what? He was specifically a professor in chemistry, but he's an encyclopedia. He knows... He he, literally is someone you could talk religion, history, anything with, and he's taught multiple subjects hence your his intelligence life. and your academic. <laughs> uh, I'm so not even a fraction. He still makes me look silly, you know. I preserve
1: preserving, but I yeah. mean, Subhanallah, he he used to just. Debate. The, uh, I don't like cutting people off. No, but no this no, is very because, weird, because I, I forget a little bit, and that's that's interesting because when you're saying Palestinians, I always look at the Palestinians as highly educated people. Yeah, they they really yeah. make sure that they stay on the ball. They don't. yeah. yeah so I think any country, you know, their own country, they can build it within a few weeks and be one of the most advanced, mashaAllah. It's, it's in sure. the DNA,
0: right? Like where Palestinians had to fend for themselves. Yeah. And there was a strong emphasis on learning, mm-hmm. your, uh, learning your subjects with proficiency. Mashallah. And, you know, if you, if you really want to go down a tangent with my father, he actually taught in Al-Madin Al-Munawwara before the Jamar al was there. Okay. And he was teaching in schools. All the schools at, at that point were named after Sahaba. So he taught in Usama bin Zayd, you know, Ubaid ibn al Harif, and he lived right next to Uhud. And he was teaching a wide range of subjects, and he was 19, 20 years old. Uh, in the 60s, went to Hajj every year, knew uh, Sheikh Muhammad. Uh, Amin al-Shanqiti Ah, oh, uh, yes, yes, Allah. yes New Sheikh yeah, yeah. bin Baz, Allah. New, I mean knew them, studied with them. He's very close to Shaykh Al-Maimani The last Imam of Juma who passed away mashallah. not too long ago. He was just a, a genius Masha'Allah, he is a genius. May Allah preserve him. I still ask him questions till now And um, so he was your first teacher of deen and Islam. And everything uh, Morals and character everything now. And he was very hard on us with our education. My mother, may Allah have mercy on her um, uh, was the the poet, she was the, uh, you know, she had an angelic presence. Uh, she struggled with a lot of sickness, she struggled with cancer, she struggled with multiple strokes, she went into a coma, you know, sometimes for an extended period of time. Unresponsive, she still came back, subhanAllah, multiple times in our childhood. And this woman was the most selfless human being, I've till today ever met in my life. I don't remember my mom ever having a nafsi moment. You know, like a moment where it was about her. I don't remember it. You know, subhanAllah, I actually sometimes think it's like, oh, everyone talks, you know, has these glowing stories. He's, you know, at the end of the day, you're talking about your mom. Like, okay, when I talk to people that knew my mom, like I've never known a human being insana like that, like that, never backbited, would never talk ill about people, would never be about herself, was always committed to something greater than herself. She would sit and she would Pray, and she would, um, you know, write these poems about Bosnia, about Palestine, about Kashmir in Arabic. She was a poet. Actually, guess where she graduated from? AUB, Beirut. Oh, okay. She 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 was actually a, a graduate in Arabic literature and poetry from Beirut, and then she graduated in finance in the United States. So she had two degrees. Her first degree was actually in Arabic, was Shair from Beirut, and she would write all this poetry. Which I'm translating right now. You know, I'm working on translating uh-huh. right now. Translating your mother's work. Yes, to leave a legacy. The first poem that I found in her book, I opened it up just to start translating. Um, recently, the first poem is called "Atfal Palestine." Children, Children of, of Palestine. Palestine. Yeah. So I'm working on it right now. Can you tell us a line or two, or I, what I, you can I'm, remember, or you know, I, I've I've quoted Subhanallah the the. Another poem, another line That really fits the moment She's talking about Atfal-Palestine But it's not in that particular Atfal-Palestine oh. So that idea of the Palestinian diaspora We're rooted in Palestine But Palestinians are everywhere But they only bow to Allah Akbar They only prostrate themselves to Allah, Allah the They've not found the great, the great obstacles That people have promised them they have not submitted themselves to the supposedly mighty enemy. They submit themselves to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I read a poem from her on Sarajevo in Bosnia. Uh, I went to Bosnia um, two years ago, and um, I actually read it, and it's online. I read it in Arabic, and I translated it at a genocide tribunal in Bosnia two years ago. She was someone Subhanahu was dedicated to Salaqah, dedicated to poetry, um, activism. Everything. I mean, she was just about everything but herself, despite great pain that she suffered, subhanAllah. It was like, it was as if she was never suffering, but she was always connected to other people's suffering. And that's when I kind of really understood the idea that if you're so committed to other people's suffering, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you with the reduction of your own if you live that life of constantly curing others, then you actually heal in the process. So even though she was going through trauma and turbulence her whole life, I mean, I don't know a woman that was more tested, subhanAllah, just test, 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 another health issue, another stroke, another, I mean, she lost her ability to, to she, she was partial in hearing, partial in speech at some point, um, had difficulty walking, had, I mean, just at one point she's walking and she can't see, you know, like, Subhanallah so was one after the other after the other, but she was so connected to other people's suffering that it was like she was never suffering. It sounds like that
1: most of your life you've witnessed your mother going through sicknesses. and uh, Whole childhood. So your whole childhood, this is how you know your mother to be. Yeah. And yet she continued to think of other people's suffering. Yeah. That's very interesting, Sheikh Omar, because right now we can see so many people due to the plights of our brothers and sisters in Palestine. They are now reading the Qur'an because they want to know what is the secret about you people, that despite all the suffering, you're extremely strong and you can still see hope and you see victory and life in a different way to the rest of the world. Why did your mother feel she needed to look after other people when she herself was suffering? Didn't it cause her doubt about anything? Yeah.
0: It was a combination of things. Yeah. Number one, in al- ilaqah Ma'al-Qur'an. Her connection to the Quran was absolutely amazing. You know, like, she actually wrote about this as well and I spoke about it, SubhanAllah. She finished the Quran, her last Ramadan, she finished the Quran 14 times. She was doing half the Quran a day. Her, her connection to the Quran was out of this world. Um, I remember my mom in hijab more than I remember her outside her hijab because she was in her Salat clothes almost all the time, um, reading, making dua. Her Salat al-Duha was like tahajjud. It <laughs> felt like her Salat al-Duha when she'd say she'd go for Salat al-Duha was like an hour, it felt like, you know, it was like just long prayers that she had. And there's definitely something that Allah Azza wa opened in her heart. Um, that, was, that was just divine opening for her in that sense. There was gratitude. Um, she didn't take a day for granted, SubhanAllah. Because she, she was supposed to have died so many times when we were kids, that she was just so grateful that she was able to live to see us grow. And that was what she yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah, you know, yeah. she'd say, you know, I, she feels like it's, it's an extension on her her lease of life. Um, SubhanAllah, even, I mean, I think, I, I know I told you this before, um, but, you know, even me being born you know when people say you'd be grateful for your life, you say alhamdulillah for your own life. Yes. You know, even me being born was not supposed to happen. SubhanAllah. Because she was at that point having health complications. And she was told after my brother, I only have one sibling after my brother was born, that she'd never be able to have kids again. How many siblings have you got? Just one. I'm the only one. You my and a brother. My older brother. Yeah. Your brother's still alive? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Older brother? Yes, alhamdulillah. And when what's, the doctor told name? her... I don't want to give up his identity. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm trying to. Yeah. But, um, you know, the doctor told her in the hospital um, or in one of the checkups, subsequent checkups, you'll never be able to have kids again. Wallahi, she laughed in his face and she said, you are not God. I got and, goosebumps. And the <clears throat> khaltu amal that Sorry. was with her, she says, I was with her, you know, Thought that she lost her mind. I thought she was kind of, you know, like shocked by the mount by the moment, and she didn't, you know, she was just reacting irrationally. But she said she said it with such peace mm. and conviction to the doctor. She laughed and said, "You're not God. You're not God." Sorry. And then she got pregnant with me. And then once she got pregnant with me, um, she lost a lot of blood. She had to have blood transfusion after blood transfusion after blood transfusion. This is the 1980s, where you're not able to scan blood, HIV scares, all sorts of things. Yes. Right. So. The thought was, even if I was born, I was going to be born with all sorts of diseases. Alhamdulillah, till now, nothing has ever been discovered in my blood or any type of disease that was transferred through that, despite the amount of blood that was pumped into her, just to make the pregnancy work. So when I say, Alhamdulillah, like it, it, it holds an entirely different meaning for me, because I'm like I'm alive because of the conviction, because of the yaqeen of my mom. I live because of the yaqeen of my mom, right? Allah Azzurajal made the yaqeen of my mom the means by which I was brought into existence here. So when I think about purpose, when I think about like gratitude, subhanAllah, and I go back to that, I'm like, Allahu Akbar. Like, that's what. Wa mayyatawakkil an Allah. Right? Fahu wa hasbu. Wa mayyattaqil Allah, yajallahu makhraja. Wa yarzukhuman haithu na yahtasib. Wa mayyatawakkil an Allah, fahu wa hasbu. Her tawakkil was unreal. I watched her my whole life, Shaykh. Um, Struggle. Just struggle. It was half half, half the time was in the hospital. And she never wanted us to feel like we didn't have a normal life. Uh, she forced a smile even during chemotherapy. And like, no, like it was just and she had a smile that was like well, when you say someone who always smiled, I mean she always smiled. Always. SubhanAllah. That woman always smiled. There isn't a single picture I have of my mom of her not smiling. even when she was, was finding some of the old black and white pictures and she was no. growing up, there is not a picture of her that exists without this huge smile on her face. And it was infectious, you know, subhanAllah. And it, was, uh, it was Rila. She was pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, Actually, had someone like was having these debates, like like this debate, and was like, "Do you think your mom was an angel?" I said, "No, I don't think she was an angel. I think people." Can it wasn't be, only infectious, also yeah, hereditary, it was, because you always have a smile on your face. Not, lying, about outcome. Outcome. not but, always, not like her, not like her. But SubhanAllah, I mean, if I if I do have any natural tendency to smile, it's definitely from uh, from my mom. That was her her natural response to everything. How
1: old was she
0: when she passed away? Ah, uh, fifty-six. And how old were you? I was just at I was just at twenty one. She, she passed away, Sheikh, between my 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 of Kitab and my wedding. So we performed our Nikah, me and my wife. And um, our wedding was supposed to be like we performed our Nikah in February, our wedding was supposed to be in January coming up. And she died in September suddenly. And uh, me and my fiancé at the time, my wife at the time, were on our way home to pick her up, to take, uh, to take her to go out wedding dress shopping. And she collapsed in the closet and died.
1: You know what the Prophet says? <laughs> when the son of Adam dies, actions are cut off except for three things. And one of them is a righteous son or righteous child, uh, who supplicates for them. You know, I'm looking at this, almost this divine uh, miracle that the doctor tells her you're not going to have any children. Everything about her, from a human perspective, will say to you that there's no chance. But it's as if Allah, as if, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as if he was saying, yes, but not yet there is someone that needs to come into this world that's going to be a benefit and through my favor ya Rab. so Allah works in great wisdoms
0: ya Rab. honestly well I feel like sometimes I'm like you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mediocre version of my mom and my dad uh, alhamdulillah with the combination I hope of some of it I hope I can do inshallah some good but uh, neither of their standards May Allah bless them both. Uh, subhanAllah, I was I was blessed. Sheikh, like I you know, a lot of people have to find what righteousness looks like. I had I had the treasures in my home. Oh. I had it all in front of me alhamdulillah. I didn't have to struggle. Alhamdulillah.
1: What an ama- amazing legacy she left behind. Shaykh. Do you have children of your own? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.
0: Three. Three. Yeah. And uh, we named our oldest after after her. She's a spitting image of her. <laughs> of your mother. Yeah. My oldest is May. Alhamdulillah. She's 14 now. 14. May yeah. Allah preserve them. Ameen. <laughs> Three daughters. Two daughters, one boy. <laughs> I, have, I have May and Khadija and I have Abdullah
1: ibn Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar. You mentioned it before. Allah, yeah. Allah make them among the righteous. I <laughs>
0: Ameen. <laughs>
1: Shaykh Omar, uh, the youth of today, you were raised in a Western society. You were raised, people thought that, students thinking that you are, uh, what did you say? Creole. Creole. Was there a point where students and friends around you noticed, okay, or realized that where your actual ethnicity is from (laughs) and what your religion is? And after that, what changed? Or did anything change?
0: So... It's interesting, subhanAllah, I don't think I've ever, like, talked through this in uh, in an interview. So I'll, I'll kind of, I'll divide it between elementary and middle school, okay. so primary, secondary. Please. So up until fifth grade and then my middle school years, uh, which are sixth to the eighth grade. Um, in my elementary school, it was, you know, when I was really young, um, something that I'd bring into the picture. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my mom would come, she'd be involved. My, my father, may Allah bless him, would... Uh, Chaperone on trips when my mom was in the hospital. He no. did not want us to feel like we were left out So he drop his work and come and like take a field trip to like a, the milk factory or something <laughs> like that You know, he'd be the only dad that was there Everyone else had their mom and he would come because my mom was in the sure. hospital no. Just enough so we didn't feel deprived So they were very active right in, in, in my life in that sense um, Also in my elementary school and I had a few schools I moved a few times um, but every one of my elementary schools um, was racially diverse. So I brought it in, and I was still, at that point, um, you know, really proud of my identity as a Muslim, proud of my identity as a Palestinian, and whatever it is. My middle school years, my entire school was African American. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't have made sense to make myself an outcast. Ah, right, so I didn't really talk about it. People asked I told them people knew my dad They knew my mom and people come to my house and stuff like that But it wasn't like something that I wasn't wearing like a a Palestine hoodie or something like that. So Creole Whatever it doesn't matter. I just didn't want to talk about that because at that point I Wasn't proud to be a Muslim I wasn't proud to be a Muslim. I, I, I Didn't want people to even know I was Muslim. I didn't care about my Islam at that point. I was angry because my mother was sick and I was trying to figure out like what was happening, and I was questioning a lot in middle school. Unfortunately, um, so I was a basketball player. Mm-hmm. I can actually show you pictures, and I can. We're try. not surprised. <laughs> <from your heart. laughs> but I was I was in I was in the basketball, I was in the sports. I was you know alhamdulillah, I was um, socially not awkward. I was fine, but. The Islam part, and by extension the Palestinian part, was just kind of something like I'm going to leave that at home, and I didn't really care much for it. Um, so people just assumed he's another he's another Creole or biracial kid. It's
1: not a big and deal. And that's and as you said, is that because of not making sense of the suffering? I couldn't. Yeah, I was
0: I was I was very uh, numb at that point to like the idea of of God and religion, and I didn't really need to think about it. None of my friends were Muslim in school. No. It was like. And so that's why I'm a big proponent of Islamic school. By the way, I went to public school because right. I'm like I know what it's like. I mean, I, you literally can just become one with your environment and mm. it's, you know, not worry about it. Um, I was I was a pretty overgrown teenager, so I'll give you a okay. <laughs> tell us what that means. What that means is that in sixth grade, yeah, I was uh, five two, no five four, half one. So do you guys use feet What's your metric No, we system? use centimeters. Ah, so you're going to have to do the conversion. Meters, right? so yeah. Five feet, four. Um, and then within that same year, um, I grew up and became six foot two.
1: MashaAllah.
0: In grade six? Yeah. About so I, I grew out all my clothes. It was great for basketball. Six foot two. I was That's, like, yeah, I was, like I, my was I, I think. I looked like a grown man. <laughs> was like, like 11, 12 well. yeah it was it was like i shot up and that people were like so it worked well it worked, it worked great for basketball and my dad wasn't too happy about me outgrowing all of my clothes all of a sudden <laughs> I had to like completely sh- change all my clothes out right because like, i couldn't be cool. fit anything anymore uh, love um, now and seventh grade i started like asking questions about religion started asking questions about faith and god seventh grade I was a weird 12, 13 year old at that point mm. because I was 13, I had facial hair, and I was six foot two. If you met me, you would have thought I was 18. Mm. So I'm not gonna talk about how I would drive a car <laughs> at 13 years old, but I did. Uh, you know, people, people assumed I was 18. I talked uh, at a higher level than my age and my grade. About- I, would, I would debate the custodians uh, you know, in the school about religion and faith and like what was happening in life. I, would, I remember talking to my assistant principal, spending a long time, just hours, just talking to him about oh, like faith and, and, and culture and history and Palestine and stuff like that. At that point, I'm starting to like come into like this argumentative mode and like trying to find myself right as a teenager. My best friend from first grade, a brother named Joshua. Uh, Joshua, my height. All right, he's a football player. I'm the yeah. basketball player he's a big guy you know he's like a tank mashallah no. you know uh, also looks way older than his age so he and I decide to uh, start looking into religion together Joshua's uncle's a pastor uh-huh um, a we're like let's look into religion together of course my dad has no idea any of this is happening and uh, we're like all right let's read into Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Sikhism, whatever. Like, let's just see what's out there, right? Mm. Let's study together without telling people because we want to get we want to make sense of the world around us, right? So, Al like had a amazing, had a literal effect on me. a yeah. you know? person is on the religion of their, their friend. friend. Yeah, yeah, so we were like, all right, let's do this together. So we're going. We're, we're, we read the Bible front to back. Ahmedidat, Ahmad Allah. Yes, yes. We all remember Ahmedidat, Rahmatullah Okay, you know where his famous debate with Jimmy Swagger was? Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I was going to school at the time. Okay, all right. Did you attend that uh, famous no. debate? No, my father, my father-in-law. Yeah. Part of the organizers of that debate between Swaggart and Ahmedidat at Louisiana State University. at LSU. Yeah. So I was still too young to really grasp uh, what's happening in the world. Um, I was barely born when this is happening. Yeah. No. And uh, I, I get I get the Choice, which is like Ahmedidat's compilation of his books and stuff I like that. I have that, that, that book. It's called The Choice. The yeah. Choice. Yeah. So I'm like reading the Bible front to back. I'm like reading Ahmadi Dath books. Um, Ahmadi Dath uh, in the 80s, I, I grew up
1: on him. He's what, what I, what some people used to call him the Elvis Presley of comparative religions. <laughs> He's very famous, the pop star of that. Yeah, Tabarakallah. yeah. Allah. yeah. Mm. Rahimahullah.
0: Rahimahullah, yeah. And I, I'm like, you know, getting really serious about not religion and stuff like that. And what am I gonna do? And how do I make sense of the world? So uh, the Malcolm X movie comes out around that time too. And uh-huh. like when X came out, like it was popular to be Muslim in African-American communities. like In black communities, people were wearing the X uh, chain, right. um, X clothes. They had the flea market, which is like an outdoor market. I don't know mm-hmm. if you use the term flea market in Australia or not, but it's like an outdoor market uh, in, in Louisiana. People okay. are buying the X chains. Yeah. Malcolm is very popular now, so it's like, all right, everyone wants to be Malcolm X now, right? Mm. So it's like, all right, let's read about Malcolm X, the autobiography of Malcolm X, incredible. Uh, book to read even at that age. So to make a very very long story short, Joshua and I decide to become Muslim as eighth graders.
1: <laughs> and that's from reading the Bible, Quran, Looking,
0: Quran asking questions, Bible, Quran, Malcolm X everything. comes out uh, Ahmadidat. Yeah, we're like a combination, a combination of. It all. So my parents don't know any of this is happening. They just know that Joshua's my best friend. I'm always at his place. He's always at, at, at my place. Joshua and becomes Yusuf. And right? so you Joshua, were both in what grade again? We're in eighth grade at this point. Like,
1: yeah. You're right. Yeah. So you're about 13,
0: 14 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. So Joshua becomes Muslim with me. And uh, I kind of renewed then my interest in Islam. And I also feel this burden of like, I've got to be the best Muslim possible for Yusuf. I've got to teach him Islam uh-huh. now too, right? So like, <laughs> I've got to become like a sheikh now. You know, so I've got to, I've got to, we've got to change our whole lives around. Um... And alhamdulillah, Yusuf is is a brother to me till now. Like he's our third brother. Me still a Muslim. Oh yeah, we just did, we just did Umrah together last month. Alhamdulillah. He and his From wife and his age, kids. From he looked into
1: Islam together. He becomes a Muslim. You obviously he embrace your. He is my you?
0: brother. Yusuf is my brother. So he's a, he is a brother to my brother as well. And my father looks at him like a son. I mean, he calls my 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 dad pops like you know, he's uh, one of uh, us. You know,
1: <laughs> amazing, amazing. Because I've got a similar story. And I was in year eight. Same thing happened to me, except not as. Uh, Deep as yours, mine was, uh, I just flicked a coin in Ramadan and my friend Craig, he says tails and I said tails and then I got it right and I kept guessing it about 10 times and then I thought I can use this as a, a fake miracle. And I said to him, <laughs> I can guess at any time you want. And then when I guessed it, it really worked. He said, how do you do it? I said, well, it's because I'm fasting and I believe in God and he's giving me this power to show you that Islam is right. Allahu and he became a Muslim. <laughs> <Subhanallah>. <laughs> but instead of like your friend Yusuf for yeah. uh, all this time, he became Muslim for about three days only. <laughs> <Subhanallah>. <laughs> Stopped eating pork, yes. didn't swear. And then he goes, oh, I, I can't Allah do it." SubhanAllah, there's difference. How Rasul, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sheikh Omar, uh, he, at a young age, he reminded me that as if when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants to bring goodness out of someone, from a young age they mature very quickly. That's how the prophets were. Muhammad yeah, yes. at the age of seven, the age of nine, and you, in as young as you're eight, this remarkable thing happened. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Not many young people. But what are
0: young people doing these days? No, what? I see oh, eighth you. graders now and I'm like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like Subhanallah. At that time, I was. You know thinking in a different way and that kind of stuff and obviously with generations but you know there are alhamdulillah and, and it teaches me not to diminish or discount you know mm. when you see someone who's young and who shows a particular type of inclination don't belittle that person yeah, you exactly. don't know what's there like there's there might be some exactly. depth in that kid that exactly. you look at 13 14
1: fourteen-year-olds and think what do they know but exactly. you're right Ex- exactly look
0: at the intelligence measure on what you read continue please Shaykh Ahmad. so we, we uh uh so yusuf becomes muslim and subhanAllah, our bond obviously becomes a lot stronger, a lot closer, tighter. And then, um, you know, he really becomes a member of the family, alhamdulillah, till now a member of the family. And over this time, uh, mashallah, Islam spread through his family as well. After re- some resistance, his aunt, rahimahullah, became Muslim while she had cancer and while she was dying. She was only Muslim for a few days, basically, subhanAllah. subhanallah. And Allah gifted her with Islam. Subhanallah. His mom who I, I, I love dearly, um, you know, it's like an auntie, obviously, but uh, she became Muslim and she was in Umrah with us as well. Oh, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah, so, we're talking decades later. We're still doing Umrah together and there's a, our, our families are, are one. Alhamdulillah, I mean, so really proud of him. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a brother to me. So at that point, you asked about like where the identity part comes in. Mm. So suddenly in eighth grade, we're like both like, we're like, we're going to be like Malcolm X. We're like doing <laughs> Dawah to the whole school. Um, Here's the part where you may not want me to, to, to name people, but the school that I went to was famous for rappers. A lot of the famous hip-hop artists today mm. I went to school with. In fact, a guy I played basketball with became an NBA uh, first-round draft pick. Right. So uh, we started giving Dao to everyone. Some of the famous rappers today took Shahada with us when we were 14 years old.
1: I mean, I don't mind <laughs> so, if you name them.
0: It's up to you. But, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. It's <laughs> up to you, inshallah. Because listen. I don't want to direct people. Some of their music is completely out there. And some of them have of not course. publicized their Islam. Some, some of them have, and they hint at it in their music. But and they would take shahada with us at that point. So Shaykh, the school... Still at that young to. age. Yeah, 14 years old. We like giving. Da- we became a da'wah train in the school. Definitely. Like He and I are like the only two Muslims. We are just given da'wah right and left. And of course, again, the Malcolm X feel. It's also, if you ever read about a person... Who was very influential um, in my life, and I think is one of the most um, underappreciated Muslim figures in Western history mm-hmm. Imam Jamil Al Amin. Imam Jamil Al Amin, his, his name was H. Rap Brown. They say rap was named after him, H. Rap Brown. H. Mm-hmm. Rap Brown was, was the leader of the Black Panther Party in the United States. He was part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, SNCC before that, his organization. He was one of the most transformative civil rights leaders in America, right? And then again, the Black Panther Party, he was the head of it. Mm-hmm. And he became Muslim, Imam so, Jamil wow. Amin. Um The school that I went to was the school that Imam Jamil went to. And he's in prison now, may Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him a way out I mean. on false charges of murder. The person that, that, that committed the murder that he's in prison for, it's, it's just part of the outrageous system in the United States. The person that committed the murder that he's in prison for has already confessed to that murder in a separate case. No. But they tried to frame him. This was before he was even Muslim, because he was the head of the Black Panthers, which became an outlawed mm. organization, a militant black organization. I knew Imam Jamil as a kid. My school was named, um, or, or he went to that school. The team name were the Panthers, because he went to that school, the Black Panthers, the Panthers. So mm-hmm. there's was that Imam Jamil sentiment as well that existed in our school. No. So it's it's a pretty historic. If you oh, look up, is. if you look into McKinley. Um, uh, middle McKinley High and in, in, in Baton Rouge—pretty historic schools. Uh, you'll see a lot of the famous, again, hip-hop artists and, and celebrities went there uh, growing up, and you can you can do the uh, the calculation, Gosh the Allah. estimation of the and time. This that is where were. you were among these types of people. Yeah, and Subhanallah, again, we just went full into Dawa mode, and that's really where like I was—I had reembraced my whole identity like with with full force. You know, Subhanallah. Remember how you said in the beginning that.
1: Uh, you kept your religion and identity aside because of the suffering yeah. which you couldn't make sense of. And uh, at what point do you think, or what made you change from that to finally coming to terms with it, being so motivated? How did you deal with this? I'm completely unrelated.
0: But I'll tell you exactly one my mm. conviction came into to me as it, alhamdulillah, never it alhamdulillah anyway. It was actually no of the some of awesome. Hell, no doubt this man is prophet Like I read about him so or some I connect people at a, at a human level, right? My favorite genre to read before I studied the was biographies and autobiographies, the autobiography now connects the seal was so deeply transformational and I was like, hell this is beautiful, and then that in the what proofs of tafid. At just the character level alone, I was like, there's no way this man is not a prophet of Allah Just his his struggles, the amount of times he had an opportunity to take the easy way out, that if he was insincere. Hmm. So I'll tell you exactly what my thought process was. Now, At some point reading about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I first came to the conclusion this man really believed that he saw to his son and what he had. Whether it's from God or not is the second layer of that. But there is no doubt that he was sincere wa sallam, to this belief. Mm-hmm. That he believed that what he was getting was from Allah. Now the second part was establishing that it is indeed from Allah. And that's where building نبو, the proofs of prophethood and Quran, the miracles of the Quran and then comparing the Quran to what else So It's like, no, this is this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is Rasulullah. It was a it was just a complete conviction. Who are Rasulullah? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I fell in love with him and his thoughts with Saddam. And I've been in love with him ever since. Sallallahu Alaihi Obviously, like I was like, this is this is the, this is who he is. And I felt like I almost felt like the Prophet had come to me in the hospital and talked to me next to my mom's bed and made sense of everything. And like told me like, you know, you know, I remember when I'm married, six, seven kids. I remember, you know, I it almost started feeling like I was having a first-person conversation with the Prophet Suleiman. It really started to feel that way, like he's talking me through his own tribulations and how the Prophet him was able to still continue. So everything just fell into on place once I once that piece of the puzzle was solved. I, I already believed in one God, by the way, Subhanallah. So he never left me, even when I was angry, and bitter. I believed in a God. I just didn't understand what was happening. I was like, I don't know about religion. I don't, I don't know about the dogma. You know, agnosticism is a, is a cop-out. It really is a cop-out. It's like, yeah, there's probably a God, but I don't know what he does. And what he mm-hmm. does most of us. It's a cop-out. It's a convenient way of saying, clearly, there is something. But that same God that's capable of creating all of this didn't bother to send his us guidance uh, at a patent back to him. That's a very lazy cop-out. And I took the cop-out. Because I was young, and, I, and it was the, com- the comfort of the time, or I thought it would be the comfort of the time once it was like very clear to me like that was the missing piece of the puzzle was the missing piece of the puzzle and once that piece was there alhamdulillah okay now I get it now it all makes sense you had a connection with him
1: uh, I can relate to that Sheikh Omar. you, you know, know everybody know, knows know. The, uh, the same thing so happened I to me know and what, what helped me uh, stand on my own two feet. I was inside the grave as it was opened no, no, and bearing no. my son. And the same thing, Rasulullah was no, in the grave no. bearing his own son. No, no, and he no. said, the eyes tear and the heart misses mm. you, but will only say what pleases Allah with our tongue. It's amazing that Rasulullah did say, if any of you go through grief or pain, suffering, then take on my suffering to make you feel better. That's why Allah says uh, we have sent you a Prophet who is merciful to you. Whatever happens to you is a big deal to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I'm>
0: very <laughs> glad <laughs> to know. <laughs> that and you from, from there
1: your transformation happened.
0: Yeah, well, and and you know that's where the idea of Prophet's death <laughs> being <laughs> the greatest calamity. And when the Prophet is saying that when you suffer any tragedy, remember your tragedy and my death coming to that place that as much as the death of my mom hurt it doesn't hurt more than the death of the Prophet ﷺ it is a worse tragedy the Prophet ﷺ dying is worse than us losing our loved ones and that's a hard reality I think for a lot of people to, to, to grasp and it's kind of like I, I, I love my mom, I, I knew my mom I, there are days that she's the only driver that I really feel like I have but you read about the Prophet's life, enough, and it's like he actually loved you more than your parents love you. Mm. Like he actually was really, you know, to us in that sense no. subhanAllah, like that steward. And, and what the, 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 it's the implications of his death, and then it's how he saw us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and, wa and how we see him in response. And it's like now this craving. So I got to live with my mom. I didn't get to live with the Prophet's life. Now it's like this craving of, mm. what, it, what would it be like? You know, you go to Medina and you can still smell it in the air. You can still feel it, the spirit of the Prophet on being there. It was like, what would it have been like to be able to walk with him to Salah, to be able to sit with him, have lunch with him, So alayhi wa I got that, those moments with, with my mother. May Allah have mercy on her. No. But I really, like, that, that part of it, there is no greater tragedy, subhanAllah, than having missed out on that with the Messenger. So I may Allah so grant that to us both, inshallah, at that time.
1: Many people don't understand That's this um, mm-hmm. deep divine connection we have with our Creator and why we love <laughs> our Prophet Muhammad so much and all the Prophets before him. Many people don't understand that until they actually become Muslim and read about him and truly immerse themselves in the life of the Prophet where they start to understand why. Yeah. Uh, Something very special not only muslims have this you know about their messenger Yes, you uh, Saying that you're from Palestine and we all know currently the atrocities that are happening The muslims of the world in fact not just muslims muslims and non muslims of the world mm-hmm. they've seen images that have never been seen before on such a large scale and in such clarity and live Real time, by different people, normal people, by children, by uh, men and women. No one representing them, no spokesperson. Just normal people, showing us these images affected billions of people around the world, and we feel helpless. And I know that you've been one of the one of the most active people that we hear about in the world in this cause. And you haven't rested one day. We're here in the UK together and I can see from the moment you, you came here, it wasn't the jet lag, it wasn't anything. You were mentally tired and exhausted, yet you continue to persevere and lead us in that way. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen you and give you the sincerity and the ability. Mm-hmm. Shaykh Omar, what advice can you give us in these times? What can we do? What can we not do? What can we anticipate what is the hope? Any
0: words from you? They are clearly upon the truth. A thorn in the side of their enemies. They're undeterred by those who have betrayed them and those who have waged war upon them. And they will be that way until the command of Allah comes. Home, And they'll remain that way. SubhanAllah, a few days ago I was thinking about this. It was the first time I thought about this hadith this way. And perhaps it can be of some benefit if I can be coherent about what my thoughts are here. It's like, what if I could have those qualities? If they have those qualities, if that's what's making them so special while they're holding the fort down there, how do we manifest those qualities? al Unambiguous right now on the truth. This is not a time... Shaykh, this is not a time to be coward. This is not a time to be cowards. This is not a time for us to mince words. This is not a time for us to, you know, oh, yeah, we just want peace. and No, this is a time to insist that enough is enough and to not mince words at all about our dedication to the freedom of our people. And I say our people because any Muslim, any, anyone who cares about Palestine is a Palestinian right now. It's not, this is not something by nationality. You're just as Palestinian as I am when your heart is connected to it this way. So this is not a time for us to, to mince words or to um, be ambiguous about where we're coming from in regards to this whole thing. him <inaudible> Our enemies want us to get tired. That's not just true for those that are bombing, our brothers and sisters. That's true for those that are trying to suppress our voices for them. Mm. They really want us to stop. him <inaudible> قَهِدِينَ and I want to disturb them as much as possible and let them know that we're not going to stop. Like I know that, you know, there was a quote that came from the White House, uh, you know, mm. Biden uh, said that you know, they'll fall in line about the Muslims. Like eventually they'll forget because that's usually what happens. They get really emotional. Time will come, the elections will come. I mean, it's me against Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, <laughs> choice is pretty clear they'll fall in line it's like we're going to stay the course inshallah. this time has to be different this has to be different than every other thing that's happened to us in our lives I actually do believe that this is a change in history this is a moment in history for all of us this is a moment that's going to be significant on your record when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. what did you do when this happened this is a moment for us because our enemy seeks a complete erasure of our people I mean Netanyahu is very clear uh in hebrew and even sometimes in english what he wants to do here mm-hmm. this is a time where we have to be steadfast if they're if they are qahirin, fa'ana qahirin, my enemy is their enemy i'm going to continue that course من من undeterred by those who betray them and by those who hurt them those who are their enemies um, you and I have spoken because we, you know, we have that relationship. Subhanallah. Uh Sometimes it's annoying. It's like, why are other Muslims? Why are people hurting? I'm trying to do something good here. I, I want. I really want to be focused on that. No. <laughs> why are you putting a, a knife in my side and in my back? Like, let me go. <laughs> you know, let me focus. I don't have energy. I don't want to fight Muslims right now. I, I really don't have any energy for this. I've got to go this way. And so this is part of that test. لا Well, I also need to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, subhanAllah, where you tell me this all the time. Keep going. You actually use those words all the time. Keep going. Keep yes. going. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Keep going. Someone says something nasty. Keep going. Someone, yeah, it hurts. We're human beings. But when your Muslim brother attacks you and tries to twist something inside of you, you know, خلاص. Keep going. So لا يضررهم من we won't be harmed by those who, who hurt us, uh, even mm-hmm. from within our community. Or no. those that are, are outward enemies. Uh, so we're not afraid or intimidated, nor are we deterred. So it was just a realization a few days ago. I was like, you know what? We need to manifest those qualities. We can't keep praising Ahl-Ghazah for their qualities without trying to implement those qualities in our lives in whatever proportion we can that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. They're not like these people just to be admired. They're yes. these people to be followed. You know, there's something there. There's a special ingredient. Like Shaykh, these people are awliya. These people are awliya. I mean, who can look at this man, subhanAllah, Abu Diyan, uh, Ruh al Ruh, you know, who buried his granddaughter and not say, like, that's, that's, that's not awliya. that's These people are awliya of Allah. Azzurra. The one who looked at
1: his granddaughter and said, yeah. uh, She is the soul of my soul. Uh, It's amazing what kind of an impact just that one man has transformed a long history of a stereotype against Mm -hmm. that particular look to a human look and to a peaceful look and to a man of leadership and uh, faith and power and strength and justice.
0: I would love to see that man read Quran. Mm. I'd love to... uh, why? be in his living room when he's praying Qiyam al Yeah. I'd love to like see what he's been doing all these years to generate that because that's something special. I, like, You don't even have to guess. You know that man is a man of Qiyam. You know that man is a man of Quran. You know that man's a man who was connected to the Masajid before they were destroyed. Uh, I heard from some of the brothers even there in Gaza that he was when he's out of Da'wah. He would be someone that would go and call people to the Masjid all the time. The like tell them come pray in the Masjid. Come pray in the Masjid. Like, I would love to get a sneak peek into that. But I see the product, and it's pretty obvious what some of those ingredients are. So it's like, how do we bring those into our lives? So, you know, look, am I tired? I am, yes, I'm tired. Am I hurting? I'm extremely hurt. Um, Am I uh, finding it hard to not break down and cry multiple times and just random times throughout the day? Yes. Uh, But you know what? Alhamdulillah they're persevering, so we should persevere. Inshallah, mm. I want to meet those people on Yom Al Qiyamah. Some of them are gone. Mm. Sheikh you know Subhanallah, Samir Abudakka, who was the cameraman of Wa'il al-Dahdu I was just watching the interview he was having with his, uh, um, or they were having with his son. Simon Which was. cameraman? So Wa'il Dhadouh. Yeah. Very famous. Wa'il Dhadouh. Yeah. yeah. So Wa'il was shot; he was struck, and that's why his arm is um, somewhat impaired mm. now. His cameraman was shot and they left him out to bleed he bled to death mm. six hours and the Israeli snipers would shoot anyone that would go try to help him mm. and they were interviewing his son and his son was saying my last conversation with him was he was telling me please keep up with your prayers I want you to pray on time please keep up with your prayers his son is telling his father that his son is saying that, that his father was telling him that okay. the last conversation he had with his father yes. Allah, his father telling him do not delay your prayers mm. now i think one of the things that you and i have probably learned and anyone that's in the field of da'wah that sometimes the awliya don't look the part mm. Mm. yes <laughs> they're not they're not bearded in a thobes yes, they're not they don't fit place. the image sometimes definitely yes all right but they truly subhanallah are awdia, like did why if, and, you know, if you were to see him before this all went down, mm. maybe you wouldn't think he's that great of a Muslim, no. right? By you appearance, wouldn't. right? Not not just, by it appearance. looks like a very average, uh typical, you know, uh, typical like Palestinian, right? Like very <laughs> typical. What's the ingredient? Mm. So this is an opportunity that Allah is just giving to each and every single one of us to try to uh, cook up in our hearts what's clearly... Uh, been cooked up in their hearts to no. to try to inculcate those ingredients in our own lives yes and inshallah to be something special like the special people that we're seeing right now.
1: Omar, why do you think they feel victorious despite what we see in them to us we see them failing but to them they
0: see victory <laughs> that's the motto it's either victory or martyrdom you can't you can't lose uh, our so there's a paradise. higher purpose than just Mere land and soil You can't lose You cannot lose when you believe in this You can't lose You can't contain a people in a small part of the earth That believe in a Jannah that's more vast They're than thinking the entire beyond world. this world like, mm. You can't beat those people you, that's They the secret. cannot lose That is the secret that is the They secret, can't yeah. lose
1: Even in all of our lives you had losses I've had losses Muslims and non-Muslims People have had losses And the thing about our hope is, well, for me, for example, and I'm sure it's the same for you, we know there is a hereafter. We know this is only the first chapter. This is just a short life, but there's something else. So it's not the end. And we don't hook our hearts onto a temporary world. This temporary world is going to betray you. It's been set up to break your heart. So why follow it as if it's a paradise? Sheikh Omar uh, Are you in line? Are you? uh, Do do you encourage, for example, there's Muslims and non-Muslims around. We've been talking about Muslims a lot, but non-Muslims around the world are hurt as well, and they're feeling that pain and that mercy, Uh, justice and injustice is a moral uh, principle of every human being, Uh, and many of them have gone out in protests. and Do you support these protests? Do you think they're working? Do you think, because you're talking about voices? So protests and uh, social media uh, advocacy
0: for justice, do you think it's all really working? Sheikh, if the only thing that came out of these protests were that the people of Palestine did not feel alone, then to me it's worth it. Sure. I'm, I'm so serious. Subhanallah. Like the, the fact that Al Ghazza thank the rest of the world for going out in the streets and say, please keep it up. Mm. need your solidarity the fact that they don't feel alone feeling alone is, is a miserable feeling to feel isolated in your pain mm. to feel like people have forgotten you and when we look in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu this is a profound concept like you're not forgotten you're not alone uh, subhanallah I was I was reflecting on this uh, actually in some talks I just gave and no. I don't even remember which convention. I think it was the mass convention. <laughs> I just came from Chicago, Shaykh. But yeah, it was interesting. In Like the loneliest episodes of the Prophet ﷺ, it's as if there's one person that's there always. So a safa when everyone turned their backs, it was little Ali, right? He mm. says, Ya Rasulullah, I've got you. You know, I'm, I'm with you, Ya Rasulullah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ali radiallahu anhu was there. And Ta'if, as alone as he was, Allah put Zayd radiallahu anhu, Zayd al-Hariqah was there when they dumped the, the the guts on his back, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Khatima radiAllahu Alaihi And even though it's painful, she was there. Right? Uh, there's always just like one person there. It's like, mm-hmm. I wanna be that one person that's mm-hmm. there for the people of Ghazif. If it's even one person, SubhanAllah. But just for, even if they know through us that they're not forgotten, that we're gonna do everything we can, even if they feel the solidarity, to me that's worth it. But it is worth, strategically, any, any political analyst would say that this has been a strategic nightmare for Israel. It's been a PR nightmare for them. And the public opinion is shifting rapidly around the world, especially with young people who are less hostage to legacy media outlets and traditional forms of media that that are much more suppressive in regards to the Palestinian narrative. Mm-hmm. So our strength is in our numbers. It is taking to the streets. It is in the boycotts. It is in these multiple forms of little advocacy we don't have the super lobby the super pack but we do have the super numbers yes and so the little efforts accumulated are clearly um, leading to a massive shift in the global sense inshallah ta'ala for the palestinian people and bidnana ta'ala are, are a step closer to complete liberation Why do you
1: think everyone's standing up here Sheikh omar it's not just muslims non-muslims everybody we haven't seen this on such a large scale i mean why do you think they're all standing
0: up? What are they trying to... What's moving them? So, like you said, there's fitrah, rahma adil mercy and justice. Mercy and fitra. justice in the hearts of yeah, everybody. Those are fitrah. And so and they can see... You can't compete with 20,000 dead people. You can't... Com- like, you can say all the lies in the world. You can't keep pulling the cover over people's eyes hmm. and hiding all of these atrocities. People are not stupid people see it and you keep discrediting yourself with the lies and the IDF is probably the most discredited body in the world at this point in fact the entire Israeli really government right i mean mm. just it's a discredited body i mean they've lied so many times now and been caught in their lies even to where like new york times and washington post are like doing investigations like these are outlets that used to just parrot idf propaganda without uh, any type of critical insight now they are actually doing investigations on the claims, lie, 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 lie. But, you know, what's definitely true are these dead people, you're starving a population of over 2 million people. Uh, white phosphorus bombs, hellfire missiles, dumb bombs, they call them, indiscriminate bombing on civilian populations. As far as, you know, When I really knew the narrative had turned, I'll tell you exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. Wolf Blitzer, who is a Zionist, right? uh mm-hmm. You know, journalist at CNN. I don't know if he claims to be a Zionist, but, uh, but I'll I'll just say, I mean, his coverage has always been extremely sympathetic right. uh, to the Israeli narrative. And he's interviewing an Israeli commander and they had dropped uh, a missile on a refugee camp. I forget which one. It's, what, 2 a.m. here, yes. uh, where we are right now, Subhanallah, so I forget which, which refugee camp it was. But, but they dropped a the missile on a refugee camp, killed over 400 people. And, you know, the IDF commander says, thinking that, you know, he's not going to be challenged. He says, yeah, well, there may have been a Hamas commander there.
1: Mm.
0: So Wolf Blitzer responds, even he gets shocked. And he goes, so you're saying you dropped a bomb on 400 civilians because there might have been a Hamas commander, you're not even sure? Like, this is getting so ridiculous Mm. that even the traditional outlets of ridiculousness are starting to question how ridiculous it is Mm. coming from them. The narrative is shifting, it's working. We're putting pressure, alhamdulillah. Um, We can't let our governments just continue to operate business as usual. Wherever you are, you have to do your part. You have to obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. No one can go back to business as usual while genocide is unfolding. You'll be asked about this. You'll be asked about this. You know, what did you do? This was happening in front of your own two eyes. If you Mm -hmm. just pretend like nothing was happening, just go to work and live your life. We have to obstruct, 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 until it stops, inshallah ta'ala. So our strength is in our numbers, b'daynana ta'ala, and hopefully in our resilience to keep it going, inshallah. Thank you, Shaykh Omar, for giving us such hope and oh God, something to can. do and
1: can continue. So, Shaykh Omar, you're, what is your daily routine? How do you look after yourself? What do you do in your life to keep yourself going? And, and uh, how, do you, how do you develop yourself? What's your daily routine?
0: Try to start early in the day. Um, you know, I always feel like the most unproductive day is when I sleep after Fajr, so I try to start early in the day. <laughs> um, try to definitely spend time with the family. SubhanAllah, like my happiest moments. I feel like there's something that just triggers in the brain. No. Happiest moments are when I play with my kids. Sincerely, SubhanAllah. Those are the happiest moments of my life. Uh, Khadija, who's my four-year-old. Um, if I pick up my phone and she just sometimes she wants to just play very randomly, right? So let's go build something together. Let's uh, let's draw together, you know. Let's play with these dolls together. Whatever it is, right? But she just wants to. If I if I pick up my phone, she actually says, "Put up your phone, Baba." <laughs> Baba, put up your phone. Baba, put up your phone. So she like screams it. You know, she's the she's the baby in the house, so she has to assert herself. They teach us things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baba, put up your phone. I'm like, all right, halas, Baba, I'll put up my phone. Um, and subhanAllah, just, and especially now in this moment where you see, again, like, and I know this, especially you've lost your son. You know, May Allah protect no, your, your children that are alive, oh, have the mercy on your son, and unite you all. Ya Rab, for, for dosa. SubhanAllah, Shaykh, like, just spending time with, with the kids. That is the happiest time. When you talk about how I take care of myself, even now, head back to the room, FaceTime, just a few minutes. Like, just that dose. That re-energizes you. I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm in love with my kids So they're, they're incredible Each one of them plays a very special role um, Of course my wife is also very special Alhamdulillah I mean just I don't get myself in trouble But I do mean it no, Of course I mean it <laughs> We all know that There's you love your wife And you're an amazing you know, husband exactly. And you're a role model I don't know about that part I, I think you are Alhamdulillah You can definitely tell lost An amazing father <laughs> Inshallah in Allah, 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 As know. well But that's our SubhanAllah Allah puts these people in your life Allah puts these These things in your life That you know, I think trigger something in your brain which is mm-hmm. necessary for you to be able to keep going. Yes. And seeing right now, you know, our our families in Palestine, I mm-hmm. think that's just, you got to take it for granted. You went through this on a personal level. You've got to mm-hmm. not take it for granted. No. You went through this on a personal level. Um, and subhanAllah, that's what it is. So I try to have lunch with the kids every day. So I eat one <laughs> meal a day. That's actually, and people ask me like, what do you do to take care of yourself? When I'm not traveling, I eat one meal a day. 3.30 when the kids One get home One meal from school. a day. One mm-hmm. meal a day. I eat with my kids at 4 o'clock, 3.30, mm-hmm. o'clock when they get home from With school. your kids. Yes. And that's, so that's, that's, a lot of, that's
1: something that we've left out in families. Even. We don't eat with our kids or our kids don't eat together with us. And that's yeah. As really a family, we
0: all eat. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to all eat together. The vertical. All of us eat together, wife and kids. Try to do no phones at the table, no nothing at the table. I'm not, I'm not saying I always succeed at the no phone part. I'll be honest with you, subhanAllah, Shaykh, like this last few months, I've lost every personal discipline that I had, you know, subhanAllah, because of... Understandably. The, yeah, so I, I was very disciplined, or I'd gotten to a point where I was very disciplined on how much social media I'd use, and how, mm. but now, subhanAllah, it's like, first thing I do when I wake up, last thing I do before I sleep, checking the news, checking the news, checking the news, mm-hmm. right? But Allah, wa Jalla, is kind. It's still just those moments during the day we get pulled away, you know, Um khadija forces me or uh, i get to hang out with with my my oldest uh, daughter who's like my counselor my may is my counselor just like my mom or abdullah who's uh my my just my my, my buddy my boy you know, and we'll need chef. we need that we need to have a break we need to yeah. have a
1: break in order for ourselves to breathe and to benefit more if we help and as you said, Allah sends us our children to force us for a break. And we don't, yeah. Allah doesn't want us to deteriorate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You should see what bag I have. I, you know, My little daughter, Maryam, she's 10. And I've got a little orange bag. And they've seen me, this little orange bag. It's really cute. It's cuddly. and It's got these little cartoon figures on it with her name on it. I carried her on the airplane everywhere I'm going in my soul really
0: kids daughters do something different to you don't they? Yeah. They, they, they it's something special in your heart I'll let you in on a secret that one, uh. she's old enough she'll be like oh that's what he was doing what? I just order my gifts in advance now so to get to the house before I get home because I don't want to carry them in my bag so sometimes these huge stuffed animals and just make sure that the box is put to the side as soon as I get home Pull out my suitcase, pull out the box. <laughs> when you get
1: home, what do they, yeah. do they do? They come and jump all over you.
0: Oh, they need a letter no, to of get Of course, not you. the <laughs> older kids. You know how teenager it is. Teenager. At that ah. point. But no, Khadija's, uh, Khadija jumps, definitely. But she also says, where's my hadiyah? So, ah, yeah, wants so a so gift. She knows she, knows she a has a right. Is coming. Yeah, she, she has says a right. Her hadiahs, especially on the long trips. So after this trip. Yeah. I bought her like this humongous unicorn (laughs) stuffed animal. I was like you know what why not such a long trip I've been away for a while jumping conventions and stuff. My daughter always
1: wants dolls. I said Boba you're you're 10 years old you can't keep buying little dolls. I want to look after babies. (laughs) How about those
0: nine dollar ones in the airport?
1: Uh, she wants those $60 ones. Oh. <laughs> no, no I've no, gotten away she, with those $9. She'll have any dollars, subhanAllah. It's motherly <laughs> nature in her, subhanAllah. subhanallah. Sheikh Omar, it was a pleasure. <laughs> and I'm so glad to be here in the UK with you on this event with Light Upon Light. Allah, 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 Allah. And uh, always a pleasure. It's been a year, but it's like, subhanAllah, like yesterday. <laughs> that's Allah why Allah when Allah. I ran in and saw you, I had already said, Asalaamu Alaikum to Mufti Menk and the rest. That people didn't see Sorry, that you, you had just arrived.
0: Look, Mufti Mink, Mufti Mink, <laughs> we love Mufti Mink. You have to keep apologizing <laughs> to him, Alhamdulillah. There's a Bilal and Umar connection. that's <laughs> Now, we love Mufti Mink, obviously. And he's, You know, SubhanAllah, he's one of the most, when I tell people about him, and anyone that knows him can testify. He's like that off camera, right? Like this just loving, huge personality, yeah. right? It's yeah. always encompassing. He's always that way, you know, subhanAllah. Mm. Even off the camera, may Allah bless So we'll make sure to include in the next video. We'll do like a three way hug. We will, inshallah, ta'ala. Shaykh Omar Habibi, my brother. JazakAllah, khair for your time. BarakAllahu
1: fiqh. May Allah bless you and your family. Keep you strong, keep us all strong.